The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Dear listener... Please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fandango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. <sighs> Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango. It's your ticket to the movies. They know that you've been preparing for this moment. What would you want people who either love the Packers, watch the NFL, what would you want them to know about Jordan Love? Yeah, I mean, know that, you know, I'm a worker. Um, I love my guys, I love this team, and you know, we're going to compete every day. We're never going to never gonna give up on anything. We're always going to fight. Um, but I'm just excited to showcase my talent on the field. Obviously, you know, I haven't been playing finally. Um, so I'm just excited to get out there in the field and show people you know, what I'm all about, what this team's all about. What has it been like adjusting to Jordan Love? I think the, the funnest thing for a tackle is being able to tell him like you got to throw more on time. <laughs> so, uh, in other words, you wouldn't tell Rogers anything really I like mean, that. You, you hint on it a little yeah. bit, but I mean, that's a first ballot Hall of Famer. That guy kind of changed the game in uh, that position, so you can't really tell that guy too much. Got a feeling you can't tell Aaron Rodgers too much for a variety of reasons. That was David Bakhtiari second, Jordan Love first with Peter King as he continues his training camp tour. And you know what struck me? Because, Chris, we just saw Peter yesterday pretty much eye-to-eye with Bryce Young. And yeah. here's Jordan Love. Way bigger. Jordan Love is large. Right, right. He is. He's got He's got some structure to him, right? You see he's 6'4 plus there. It's long arms, right? It's a guy that's got some size on him, and it doesn't even look like he's really got a, you know, he's not lifting weights or going crazy that way. This is a naturally big human being. And then, I mean, of course, then you go to the next clip with David Bakatiari, and you're, you get into, you know, the most giant people in the world. But, uh, yeah, hey, that's why, yeah, there he is. He is a huge human being. I mean, the easiest 320 you'll ever see. But hey, that's why we're, we're concerned with Bryce Young. I want to see that experiment. I do. You know, there's a lot to like, but we've talked about size is a skill in the NFL. It's a big person's league for the most part. Um, Jordan Love at least has that. We'll see if he can put it the rest together, and we'll see about Bryce Young. Two different experiments between Green Bay totally. and Carolina. Two very different sets of circumstances as Jordan Love follows Aaron Rodgers. Did you see Aaron Rodgers' house in Montclair, New Jersey? I was I don't know aware how far of that is from you. Well, it, it's, it's... I don't know how far that is. It's, it's like from where I grew up, right? Montclair is 
you know, an old, really cool town in New Jersey. It's got a little of everything. It's very big. It's pretty close to Giant Stadium, New York City there. There was some stuff up here in the newspaper or whatever uh, like two weeks ago kind of saying he might buy that same house that has now become public. So he's close to the facility for the Jets. He's close to New York City. It's almost like a halfway point right there, right? So you get a little bit of the, you know, the suburbs, but you're on the edge of, you know, a big town, small city. And then, of course, New York City is just across the, the Lincoln Tunnel there for Aaron Rodgers. Pretty cool house, though. Very contemporary. And it definitely has a Scranton Business Park vibe. That's the home <laughs> of Dunder Mifflin from The Office, one of his favorite shows. Does he got a driveway? Class, He's got a I driveway, like Mike. Like, he walks down. He gets the newspaper. He says, hey, what the hell are you looking at over here? Just like Tony Soprano. I saw your tweet yesterday. That's right. <laughs> Robe, boxer shorts, T-shirt, and then take the newspaper up and have some gabagool for breakfast. But uh, nine and a half million. And see, once you pay quarterly taxes and I still believe that if we all had to pay quarterly taxes there would be a revolt instantly it's one thing to have the money kept out of your paycheck it's like you never had it when you have it and you have to give it up yeah it's worse times a year January 15 April 15 September 15 June 15 not quite in that order uh, but I think of how much you have to make in order to buy something. I don't think in terms of what it costs because you get the net after you pay your taxes. So for him to buy a $9.5 million house, especially with New Jersey taxes, he's probably got to make $16, $17 million to have nine and a half left over to buy a house. And I know there's certain write-offs and it's an investment and the value will go up, but that's a lot of money. When you just gave up $33.5 million or deferred as he said last week i still think that was a freudian slip by him and he's going to get that money back somewhere somehow yeah that's a lot of money you got to make and a lot you've given up at least in the short term to write the check for a nine and a half million dollar house and i wonder if a guy like aaron Rodgers, like do you just do you just like do a wire transfer do you get a mortgage i i don't see why you'd get a mortgage no i would think he pays that like why why right yeah. Unless you've got some, and again, this this is higher end finance understanding than I'll ever have or ever want to have. But there may be some tax benefit to having the interest. But I'm a firm believer in no debt. Yeah. If I'm, I don't have I'm the money to buy there. something, right. I'm not buying it. Right. I won't buy it till I have the money to pay cash. I don't want to owe anybody anything. Yeah. I don't have want a bill interest. that comes in monthly. I don't and want have any that of that. I hear you. Right. I'm, I'm I'm the same way. I like it kind of clean cut and dry that way. I mean, nine point five million dollars. I mean, to him, what I uh, you know. He he he's still nine point five million. I know, but it's 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 his rookie contract money. I mean, it's it's nothing. It's uh, it's a, it's his State Farm commercials. He just bought that house with his State Farm commercials, right? I That's don't know. I, I don't know how much the State Farm commercials pay, but but again, you know, we've talked about this before. For one of the all-time great players in the NFL, yeah, he has not been a commercial. No success really, in comparison to the Peyton Mannings <laughs> yeah. and the Tom Brady's right, of the world. Right. He hasn't been. Yeah, he hasn't been. No, it's right. State Farm. What else and, has he done? And it's. I don't think he's saying no to the opportunities. I remember at one point he made a change in his marketing representation because he wasn't happy that he had so few national commercials given his profile. It really is strange to think, but. You know, that's what happens when you take kind of a heel turn late in your career and you're deliberately polarizing. 
there's something to be said about being very meat and potatoes and vanilla and non-confrontational sure. and not pissing off people with some of your takes and some of the things you say and some of the way you act. And maybe he decided after a while, you know what, they're not knocking on my door to do these commercials anyway, so why no, should I cares? keep trying to be straight-laced in between the buoys? I'll just say whatever I want. Yeah, I, you know, maybe there's something to that, right? You know, I mean, it, you know, it, there, there was a point where, you know, I, I feel like when Brady got to the Bucks and won that Super Bowl and then, yes, and, and beat Rodgers in the NFC Championship, where I feel like, yeah, the, right around that time, not after that, you know, going into COVID like you're mentioning and all that, public perception, the grandiosity of Brady just exploded even more. And, you know, it almost made Rodgers, uh, you know, the, look like he got lost in the shuffle to a degree right in that era. And that's where it kind of changed, uh, at least it's where it felt like to me. Well, this is his chance for the first time in his career he's playing and Brady isn't, other than the 2008 season when Brady made an exit after week one, and that was Rodgers' first year as a starter. So this is it. This is it. The only other games Brady missed was the first four of the 2016 season for the Deflategate suspension. Rodgers has the stage to himself as the NFL's elder statesman. Breeze is gone. Brady's gone. Peyton Manning's long gone. The older quarterbacks are gone. It's him. That's it. Phillip Rivers gone I mean I'm trying to think of other older quarterbacks I'm missing but it's Rodgers right now he's the last man standing you know we had a period of time where we had this golden age of a cluster of older quarterbacks and a cluster of up-and-coming young quarterbacks and now that's shifted we've got a bunch of great quarterbacks under 30 a bunch of them and Rodgers is the last man standing pushing 40 he is he is he's he is the last of that you know old generation right where where yeah, like you said, Rivers, Brady, Manning, Rodgers, that, that whole Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger, right. You know, Eli Manning, all that, all that's, that's all, you know, over with, right. Except for Rodgers, it is a new era. And yeah, I mean, who is it that's next that you look at as older quarterback? I mean, it's really the next guy you kind of think of is Kirk Cousins. It gets into that. Russell Wilson. Yeah, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr. I mean, that's where we're at. You're right. It's a new regime. Stafford. And Stafford, yeah. I think that pretty much covers it all. But it's a new regime, and, you know, it, it's an awesome regime. We're certainly not starving for quarterback play. Uh, and then, of course, we got some young ones. We'll see what their potential is and if they can reach it here in the next year or two. And it is going to be very intriguing to see what Rodgers has left after last year. Two back-to-back. MVP seasons, 2020 and 2021. Last year, there was a regression. Was it just fatigue emotionally and psychologically dealing with the Packers? He had gotten to the point where he'd had enough, or was it a sign of slippage? I don't want to What do you attach think? names what, to what's any your, of the well, – yeah. What's your feel? I, I was intrigued last week by some of the conversations that was had among the various people from Football Night in America, and I'm not going to name names, but there was a sense from some that – not afraid of Rodgers anymore. Defenses aren't afraid anymore and shouldn't be afraid anymore. And I don't know that that's warranted at this point because he seems like a new guy. He seems like this fresh start is helping him. And he has wowed enough people in Jets camp. Now, the, the bar that was set by others before him, not very high, so maybe it doesn't take much to wow them. But I was kind of surprised to hear some people who are around the game and know the game suggest... 
Rodgers doesn't scare defenses like he used to. Well, so that's what yeah. I'm going to be looking for week right. one against the Bills right. and well, week two against the Cowboys. I think it's a – I mean, you, you, you've you heard that, right? You've heard me say that. That's what we've talked about, right, when we broke down Rodgers in the quarterback countdown or, you know, even during the season when we showed certain clips, right? There's a lack of aggressiveness and a lack of willingness to push the ball down the field for a guy that still has a pretty incredible arm. And, you know, like we're, we, we've talked about before, too, it's just – it's 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 a game right now that's set up for big plays in the passing game. And if you're not taking advantage of that, you know, then you're really dropping the ball and not giving your team a chance to win. I'm going to bet on the latter. Like I don't think I'm going to bet that Rodgers comes out as a different guy and is more aggressive and this new energy and wanting to prove to his teammates and show them that he is the guy and wanting to get Garrett Wilson the ball and like you talked about the emotional recharge just from you know, from Green Bay, all that he had to deal with there. This is all exciting, new, everything like that. I'm going to bet more that we see the better Rodgers, that we see one that's a little bit more aggressive, right? It, it, I really look at it in a lot of ways, like Brady going to Tampa. That was one of the issues there. And what happened, right? Bruce Arians kept poking the bear. Hey, there's, there was people open. He should have held the ball. There was people open downfield. You know, he's not playing well. He 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 poked him a lot. Rodgers, I don't know if anybody's going to poke, poke him there. Rogers. Well, he's going to poke Rodgers. I don't think Nobody. anybody's going to poke him other than that. We're all poking him. We're all looking at him right now, just like we're talking about right now. We didn't even mean to start the show with him, and here we are 12 minutes, and we're talking about him, and we're poking him. And I think he knows that, let alone it's the Jets media and New York media and everybody has got him under a microscope. So I think that's kind of his Bruce Arians, you know, the, the, the guy that's going to motivate him to kind of show, hey, I am still the guy here and we can still win games because of my right arm. Or just the residual hatred, for lack of a better term, that he feels towards some in Green Bay. Sure, that's more. To them. We were, yeah, yeah. You know, my son and I were talking about that last night, just how this – this whole, hey, everything's great, I'm great, I'm happy, I'm living great, hey, Green Bay, you know, look at this, you could have had this for one more year or another more year, and I'm so much happier now that I don't have to deal with you people anymore, not the fans, obviously, people in the front office. My son and I were also arguing about that schedule. I mean, the pivot point, I think, is week two. If they can steal that game from the Cowboys and Rodgers' former head coach, Mike McCarthy, they got a good shot at three and three, through the first six. And Robert Sala has talked about how getting through that gauntlet in three and three would be such a major accomplishment. Two and four is what a lot of people are saying is more likely. The wins, the potential wins, Cowboys, Patriots, and Broncos with the losses to the Bills, Chiefs, and Eagles. And if they could still still one of those three games from the or steal as the case may be from the Bills, the Chiefs and the Eagles, then four and two is in the work. Oh, yeah. So much is on that first game. Yeah. So much is on that first game. If they could come out of the gates and beat the Bills on that initial Monday night of the season, it's it's going to be a much different vibe. Because You're I right. Think it takes the pressure off right away. Closer, yeah. 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 We're one month away from the start of the season. And I think as we get closer and closer to it, there is going to be, I think, just kind of this general acceptance that even though the Jets are different and that's where Aaron Rodgers is, Oh, boy, look at the schedule. Oh, boy, look at the schedule. Oh, boy, they're going to have a hell of a time the first third of the season. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you there. I mean, this is still a young team, right? Still a team that's learning how to win consistently, be battle-tested, block out the noise. I mean, we saw it last year. You know, they kind of fell apart towards the end of the year. I think that kind of spoke to their youngness there, 
right? That early season, I'm with you. You win week one, that'll change and just allow everybody to take a deep breath, right? And I think they got to do a job, or, or, or Rodgers, he's got to make sure that you know, expectations are realistic for the offense early on, too. You know, that's the other thing. He's got a real team here, right? I mean, Rodgers, he's got a top five-ish defense here. It, it is. He hasn't had many of those in his career. So that gives him a little wiggle room where, you know, they don't have the pressure of like he did so many years in Green Bay where you're just like, if Rodgers doesn't ball out and throw for 315 and three touchdowns, I don't think Green Bay can win today, right? That's not the case. You know, now it's, hey, let's let's let the Demons do their thing. You know, I'll we'll, we'll move the ball, be consistent here, and I'll find my, you know, three or four times a game to strike and make a big play. And I just hope that the pressure doesn't get to them where, you know, Mike, they're in some 13-10, 14-10 dogfights early in the year, and he starts to feel like, whoa, this is one everybody signed up for. This isn't why they brought me to town. And then he starts to feel the pressure and push the envelope, and then bad things happen. So hopefully they can uh, – you know, be realistic about what they might be early in the year and ride that wave, win some games, and then find a way to kind of explode and grow as the year goes on. One guy that's been tied from time to time with Aaron Rodgers over the years, the idea that maybe they would align forces in Green Bay, Odell Beckham Jr., that never happened, obviously. He is now a member of the Baltimore Ravens. Interesting comments he made to Peter King, and Peter previewed these when he was with me on Friday. I was in Canton and he was in Atlanta. Odell Beckham Jr. And Chris, you and I spotted right away as it was happening, Super Bowl 56, Odell Beckham Jr. was being showcased by the Rams. He was the guy who was taking the the advantage of the fact that the goal was to stop Cooper Cup. So let's right. get the ball to OBJ. Right. He had two catches for 52 yards and a touchdown into the second quarter before he suffered. And I can't say torn ACL. He had no ACL. He had no ACL. The knee just went non-contact with 354 left to play in the second quarter of that Super Bowl 56. He said to Peter King when Peter was in Baltimore last week that Beckham would have had 15 catches, maybe 250 yards. The game plan was for me, we would have beat the Bengals 42 to 17. Now, when you got two for 52 and a touchdown with 354 left in the first half, I don't think that extrapolates to 15 and 250. But still, and you know, it's funny, Pete Demolitis pointed out last night that his comments were kind of making a stir on social media. They were going viral, so I wrote something about it. I didn't even really flinch at the comments because you and I both knew from the get-go yeah. that that's what the Rams were trying to do that day. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, maybe a little embellishing there, 15 for 250. Okay, I'm with you. It, it was a, He was about to go off. I don't doubt that at all. I mean, because as we watched the game, right, you, you said it right. You framed it the right way. They're worried about some of the other things that the Rams did on the offense. They were going to be worried about corralling Cooper Cup. And he was kind of going to be the code cracker for like, wait, this guy, you're you're in a vulnerable position with Odell Beckham Jr. with all the stuff you're doing on defense. And we saw that, and they were going to have they they were going to have ways to feature him in that game plan. I know that. I mean, not only has he said this before to a degree, but you know, I've I've talked to coaches there in L.A. 
And they echo those sentiments that he was going to have a huge game. I mean, I had a big-time coach there tell me he was probably going to be the MVP of the game with the way they were playing us, the way it looked early on, and what they had in the playbook you know, for, for the game as far as their game planning. So that's where it, it was a sad moment, right, when he went down because you and I were sitting there and we like OBJ and we know he's been through some stuff and whatever else, and we knew he was on the way here to, oh, whoa, you know, he's going to have a big day and maybe be in the MVP conversation. And then right away you knew as soon as he grabbed his knee that it was big problems and, uh, you know, good for the Rams that they found a way to win. But, yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, a missed opportunity for Odell, Odell Beckham Jr. And, look, it worked out ultimately for the St. Louis Rams or L.A. Rams. What the hell am I doing? The L.A. Rams because they won the game. Right. They won the game. Yeah. They didn't win it as easily as Beckham thought. Maybe they would win it. But you're you're taking a hell of a risk in trusting so much of the game plan to a guy that, you know, doesn't have an ACL. And Dan Pompey, the athletic, recently did a, a close look at where Beckham is right now. And there were some quotes about last year. And Beckham had said to Cooper Cup after the NFC Championship, I'm glad there's only one more game. I couldn't get through two more games. So they made a calculated risk going into that game that we're going to ride Odell Beckham Jr., but there's a chance that he's going to give out, that that knee's going to go at some point during the game. And it happened. And they knew it potentially could happen. The rest of us were surprised. The rest of us thought that it was a clean tear of his new ACL that had been put in place after he suffered the injury week six while he was with the Browns in 2020 against the Bengals. No, there was no ACL. He went to the Rams, signed, they did the physical, and Dr. Neil Elitrash said to him, you got no ACL. We can do the surgery right now. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'll just finish the year without it, and we'll see how it goes. And it almost went to Super Bowl MVP. But, you know, that's the thing. At the time, I felt so bad for him because I felt like he was robbed of that opportunity to parlay Super Bowl 56 MVP into major contract. Nobody was given a major contract if the first order of business after the game was to have ACL surgery. Yeah, yeah. no, you're, you're right about that. That, that was certainly going to disrupt things, no doubt about it. And, and you're right to say that it was it was risky by the Rams to, to make him the focal point of the game plan. Sure, you know, but also to that point, he had kind of survived and he's one of the freakiest people you've ever seen. And he has a personality, right? Mike, that is, give me the ball. I'll take over for you guys. Don't worry. And I'll make it happen. That's infectious to the rest of the football team. And then you see the physical talent and you're going, damn, whoa. I mean, you know, as I said, I talked to people out in LA, he blew people away towards the end of that season with what he was doing on the field. You know, they were, whoa, we got something. I mean, yeah, three rockets up his ass, catches everything, unbelievable route runner, worker. So I think those things embolden them, right, to go, well, man, let's let's get this guy the ball. He deserves it. He's been through some stuff. Look at what he's doing out in practice. But it came back to bite him in the butt. And, you know, after that, we saw Stafford and the Cooper Cup show take over. But uh, that that's Odell Beckham Jr., like we've talked about. It's one of the greatest talents at the position we've ever seen. He's had a few bumps in the road. We'll see how close he can get to that, you know, ultimate spot that he once was at here with Baltimore. I'm excited for him. I expect big things for sure. Yeah, I I don't know what to expect from him because I don't know what to expect from the offense. I don't know how healthy he is. He's now 30, and he hasn't played any football since 
February of 2022. So a long dry spell for Odo Beckham Jr. And there's a chance that he's just not going to be the guy that, that we were accustomed to seeing before. And even if he is, is he going to get the ball? And he's got $3 million in incentives in this contract that pays him one year, $15 million guaranteed with that ability to make more on top of it. If he's not getting the ball the way that he thinks he should, will we start to see some frustrations bubble up? And he said in that athletic item that he's entering this year, viewing it as the final year of his career. Now, I think he's just taking it one year at a time at yeah, this point, and right. why wouldn't you after everything that's gone on the past three years? I mean, look, his career started great. Then he got a little frustrated in New York. Then he got a new contract, and not long after he got the new contract, he was frustrated in New York and wanted out. And then they dumped him. Yeah, he got and, hurt and I don't in New wanna, York. I don't mean right? this. Remember, he hurt his ankle. Yeah, right? I don't. I don't. I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but they dumped him onto the Browns in that he was in Europe and he didn't even know. Right. They were thinking about trading him. Yeah. And like, what, I mean, like, what, what, are the, what were the Browns thinking? That they're just going to treat him like a pawn on a chessboard and just like, hey, you want to get paid, you want to keep playing football, you come to Cleveland. Like, wouldn't, isn't, isn't OBJ kind of close enough to franchise quarterback that even 100%. if he doesn't have a no-trade clause, 100%. you want him to be on board? 100%. Like, what the hell was John Dorsey thinking? <laughs> I love John Dorsey, yeah. but what was he thinking when he just like, yeah, let's trade for Odell Beckham Jr. and not even tell him before we trade for yeah, him? Yeah, that, that's one where you, you – uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, you, he's superstar. It's superstar, game changer, locker room changer, culture changer, whatever you want to say. Odell Beckham Jr. has that. Yeah, you want to make sure, you know, that it's it's a volunteer and not a hostage like you're talking about. And you want to make sure, yeah, it's a star that you know can affect the rest of your football team if he's not happy being there. Yeah, they they probably should have checked in. He put his best foot forward for, a, for you know, as long as he possibly could. And then finally he made some waves to get out of there. I mean, it wasn't Odell Beckham Jr., as you and I both know, that was the, the major problem. There was a lot of issues there, certainly. Um, but, yeah, you're right. They, they should have checked in. They should have. And, um, it, you know, Mike, going back to the Baltimore thing too, right? You know, I, I hear you. It's interesting what to expect. Uh, but but I, I do look at them and go, okay, I think the offense will be better in the pass game for sure. I don't doubt that. I look at their roster and you go, hey, you know, he's really the only proven commodity they got on the at the wide receiver position. So I'm not saying that necessarily is going to translate to a hundred and, you know, 15 receptions and 1500 yards receiving, but I think he will be the focal point. He will. He'll be the guy that's in the trust tree of Todd Munkin and Lamar Jackson to do some of the more intricate you know, detailed stuff and route running and plays and all that. And they're going to dial up some shots with him too. But, you know, I just, knowing that guy, OBJ, knowing Lamar a little bit, right, I just think there's going to be a connection there to be had, and especially since he's a guy that's been there, done that, and there's not a lot of that on that roster. I think we're going to see a heavy dose of OBJ and Mark Andrews, and those will be the prime two targets with some, you know, Zay Flowers reverses and some splash and sizzle from him from every, you know, from time to time. Well, it's not going to be easy. And people no. acting like Todd Munkin comes in as Bill Walsh. Yeah, you're hands right about that. <laughs> making this right, making this offense go after yeah. they've been that run-heavy attack. And you know, I've been saying, hey, when it's time to 
you know, convert on third and six, you're going to have Lamar Jackson revert to what he does best, which is just go run for the damn first down and not get too fancy or too complicated. You may have a temptation, and somebody was pointing this out last week when we were in Canton, not just to to freelance that way, but Todd Munkin may say, Wait, why am I calling all these passes when I've got Lamar Jackson who can go run the ball whenever he wants for 7, 10, 15 yards? So it's going to take a lot of discipline for everybody to make this pivot. And it's for Lamar Jackson's own good to make this pivot away from running to passing Agreed. and having Odell Beckham Jr. and Zay Flowers and Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely and other weapons. That is the incentive for Lamar Jackson to set aside the running skill and focus on developing into more of a pocket passer, just like Steve McNair did and just like Steve Young did. Yeah, agreed. It, it needs to go to that you know phase of his career. You know, just timely scrambles, timely run. Nothing's there, then do it. That shouldn't be the focal point. And listen, he's tried to do that. It hasn't been like Lamar dropped back and just looked to run. You know, he has been playing within the pocket. You know, they just, again, have not always had the best receivers, not always the most creative offense in the world. He's trying to do the right things that way. But, yeah, I don't want to see, you know, Lamar Jackson 2,800 yards and eight or 900 yards rushing. I want to see Lamar Jackson, like, flirting with 4,000 yards throwing the football, which we've yet to see. And, hey, maybe it's five or 600 yards rushing, but it's more of an impactful, big play, no one to do it type of moment, right? A little along the, the lines of Mahomes and Josh Allen and, and knowing when to bring it out, you know, only when need be and try to strike, you know, consistently with that right arm. And, and I think we're going to see that from Lamar Jackson this year. Well, remember when he signed his new contract back in April and they had that press conference, he said he wants to throw four, not 4,000. Five. Not 5,000. Oh, he said 6,000. 6,000. <laughs> Nobody's ever done 6,000. No, no. He's in this new offense. He wants to go 6,000 right out of the gate. So, hey, maybe that's how you get to five. You say you want to go for six, and then you guarantee getting to five. But even five would be a hell of a lot for Lamar Jackson yes. in any offense when you have that ability to be the dual threat runner and passer. But that shows he's at least got the mindset to make the pivot. Right. Or the thing that's been showing. is going to keep yeah. him on the field for third contract and maybe a fourth contract. One more thing about OBJ before we move on. Yeah. I thought of this earlier when we were talking about how they just dumped him onto the Browns and the Browns didn't even talk to him ahead of time. I really do feel like the game, and I'm not going to be specific about names or teams here. I just feel like the game has a way of – Clipping the wings of guys who seem too big for their britches. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Like, like they, they, it goes out of its way to humble a guy like OBJ because he's too big. He's too much of a showman. He's doing too. They should embrace the game. Should embrace guys like that. But I feel like it's that old school mindset that wants to remind these guys. You know what? You're just a piece in this giant football machine. And you can be replaced, you will be replaced, and why don't we just go ahead and replace you now and stick you into a different machine that you may not even want to be in, but too bad you signed a contract, live with it. I just feel like there's that mindset that ricochets around the NFL where, oh, you think you're a star? Nope, you're just another guy. You're just another cog in the football machine. There's, there's imbalance as a player, 
And, you know, with, with the, like you're talking about the old school people in the NFL, there's that balance of finding me and we, right? And the team likes when they got some cocky guys who believe in me, but they don't want it to filter over into maybe doing an interview with Josina Anderson and Lil Wayne, and now you're talking about the state of the football team and taking a few shots at your franchise quarterback, right? I mean, that, that would be where I, OBJ was wrong to do that. That's maybe where, okay, it went too far to, hey, me, me, me. And, of course, it's the New York football giants. It's one of the oldest franchises ever. I mean, they've been here forever. And they they're, and he just signed a contract. I know, you know, but he went, you know, a little too far that way. And then within doing that, too, attacked one of the crown jewels of the franchise and Eli Manning. So it was a double whammy. You know, not only could I see him pissing off the Maras and the Tish family, but I could he pissed off the New York fan base with that one too. So that, you know, if there was one mistake he made in his career for sure, that would be the one that I would say, yeah, probably made the Giants brass a little uncomfortable and angry with, with how he handled that. Very few moments from game days over the past five, six years are seared into my brain. I remember standing in the viewing room before the game started that day in October of 2018, thinking, what the hell are we watching? Yeah. What is this? Right? What is he doing? Oh, my God. It's great, for, it's great for business. It's great for my business. Gave us plenty of stuff to write about and talk about. But what in the world is this? And that was the beginning of the end or the ending of the end for him in New York. And they dumped him onto the Browns. And the Browns willingly accepted him without – I, maybe the Browns were afraid to ask. Maybe that's why they didn't ask. <laughs> yeah. You know what? If we ask this guy, do you <laughs> want to come no. to the Browns? He's going to say, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Good be. So what's, what's, the, what's the saying? It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. That, uh, that may have been the way that Odo Beckham Jr. made his entry into Cleveland, and it could explain why he didn't stay in Cleveland for all that long in the grand scheme of things. All right, uh, the Eagles made a couple of moves over the weekend that for a team that has very few weaknesses has raised some eyebrows about whether they're concerned about one specific weakness. They add a couple of veteran linebackers on one-year deals, Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham, each deal worth up to $2.5 million. Uh, N'Kobe Dean missed the past couple of practices with an ankle injury. There's a lot of hype and a lot of hope for Dean. And there's a sense, Chris, that maybe there's, you know, there's concern and they want to shore up that position. Yeah, I, I listen, you know, Mike, I did a I had to do something yesterday for like uh, my podcast, right? Pick one guy to watch for each team in the NFC in the preseason, right? That we kind of feel is, hey, if he jumps off, it's big for the team or, ooh, this could be a weak spot for the football team altogether. So, you know, as I'm sitting there at home on Sunday, I'm going through the exercise and, of course, looking at the, you know, at the NFC teams and you get to the Eagles. And, of course, it's an amazing roster, as we know. But you get to that point of the roster right there and you go, hmm, that that there's some questions right down the middle of, of of Philadelphia's defense. Not on the defensive line, but when you get to linebacker safety, that's a different conversation than it was last year. And Nicobe Dean, you know, was a guy that I believe was a little overhyped coming out of college. Of course, was a, behind the greatest D line in the history of college football back there, racking up tackles. But he is five eleven. He is two hundred and thirty pounds. He's not your prototypical guy that way, right? And, of course, he didn't play a ton last year, so he's inexperienced as well. 
But you look at that part of the roster and you go, wait, middle linebacker, Nicobe Dean, Nicholas Morrow, who's been a guy that's been around the NFL, was on the Raiders, you know, for a few years. But there's nobody you can sit there and look on their roster and go, ooh, they, you know, they, they put some good work, good film in the NFL. They've been there. They've done that. They've done it for a few years. So I'm sure here they are a few weeks into training camp and they're going, wait, our guys banged up and wait, we're not exactly deep at the stand up middle linebacker position here. We need some guys that have, you know, can quarterback the defense, get guys organized the right way, can take coaching to different game plans. And that's where Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham will come into play. He slid a little bit in the draft to round three, pick number 83, won the Butkus Award, was a unanimous All-American, but that size issue and some injury issues, and when you don't have the size, you're going to have some injury issues, it did cause some concern and contribute yeah. to plummet. And now you know, we're at the point in camp where teams have had time to see how it all fits exactly, together. Mike. And there's veterans out there that they can add to right. address concerns that they may have developed. Here's Nick Sirianni from Sunday talking about his current linebacker room. So what went behind that? Uh, you guys signed two linebackers in the contract. What went behind? What was the reason why you guys went out and did that? You know, we are, we are low, a little bit low at that position as far as the amount of guys. And just really, you know, we, we really do feel good about the room. We just want to bring in some extra competition to, to let things, you know, shake out and see who, you know, at the end of the day, the best guys uh, will play. But, you know, I think uh, N'Kobe's done a great job. Um, you know, obviously he's, he's working through this, this ankle injury. So, uh, look, you know, they got to do what they got to do to get through preseason games. They got to do what they have to do to evaluate the roster. And they ultimately have to make decisions about where our weaknesses are and how we're going to properly address them. So Jack and Cunningham were available. They're now on the Eagles. And, and I get the impression, I don't know how much guaranteed money's out there, but it's almost like one of them's going to make the team and one isn't. Like, let's, let's, let's bring them both in. Let's see what they both do. And uh, you know, what's the old Glengarry Glen Ross? Oh, you know, the, the winner gets the steak knives and the loser gets fired. Well, it, I, I wouldn't be shocked, you know. It could be a, yeah, let's bring both of these guys in, out of the, both veterans, both played a lot. Let's see, you know, who kind of rises to the top. I wouldn't be shocked, though, if both of them, you know, stay there, right? I won't. You know, the one thing I'll say there is, is, is you know, Nicobe Dean, sure, a little banged up, but, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does or question, you know, how good he can be, right? So th that's real. And, you know, you look at their position. Like, I know he said they're a little light with numbers there. I don't know if they're really that light. This, one, this might be one where, Mike, where I look at it and go, hey, both of these guys might make the football team when you kind of look at that position there. And, of course, veterans, smart. They both can run. They both got more size than some of the guys they got on the roster there. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what, what happens. But um, yeah, an interesting move, and, and it certainly was the, the one question mark I think we had about the Eagles. And, you know, this kind of just fuels the, the fire a little bit to, to continue to question that and evaluate it as we go on here. And that's the reality. When you have a team that is loaded at so many positions – Anywhere that they're not yeah, becomes glaring. Right? right, right. You know, because they're, they're, there are very few weaknesses on the Philadelphia Eagles roster, so that's something to monitor as the preseason approaches and the regular season again. Just one month away with the Chiefs hosting the Lions to start the 20. 
23 campaign. We're going to take a break. When we return, a stunning story that kind of came out of nowhere involving one of the Texans' owners, a member of the limited partnership that holds the equity in that team. We'll get you up to speed on what it is and how it all came to be when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There's no place like the movie theater. The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full body experience while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Tuesday edition of PFT Live. And, Chris, I'm going to tell you a little story here about what happened on Sunday night. I was minding my own business, sure. as I typically try to do, about 10, 10.30 at night, maybe creeping up around 11. And I got an email out of the blue from someone that I can't even remember the name of the email address. And I don't know how secret any of it was, but the person was pointing out to me that there appeared to be a pending criminal prosecution of a member of the ownership group of the Houston Texans. And I was sent a screenshot that showed the list of charges. Rape, five counts of first-degree sexual abuse, and one count of third-degree sexual abuse. And the indication on the screenshot was that there was some sort of a pretrial conference that was set, which implied that this thing already exists, like there wasn't an arrest that just happened, that these charges have been lingering. So my first thought whenever something like that comes along is, is it fabricated? Is it phony? Is it a trap? What's going on here? So I started to get to work on trying to figure out exactly what this is. Javier Loya is the name of the limited partners, been a member of the ownership group of the Texans since 2002, their first year in the NFL. So I started poking around Kentucky websites because this happened in Kentucky, supposedly Louisville, Jefferson County. What can I find? What can I get to substantiate any of this? I contact the Texans late Sunday night, went to bed, got up right at it before the show got up 5 30 yesterday to get back at this texans texted me at 5 30 a.m eastern saying pr looking into it we'll get back to you today so i kept at it called the courts got got a match on the birthday february 2 1969 and even then i i just in in the event that there was this cosmically remote chance that there are two people with the exact same name and the exact same birthday 
just in case. I wanted to hear something from the team in the league. So I was, I was, I was more of a pain in the ass than usual. Calling PR with the Texans, texting, emailing, everything. Hey, somebody, let me know what's going on here because it looks like this is the guy, and I don't understand this. The warrant was issued May 10th. There's a pretrial conference set for August 22, and nobody knew anything about this. So eventually I got a statement from the Texans. We are aware of the serious charges filed in the Commonwealth of Kentucky against Javier Loya, one of our outside limited partners. We have agreed with Mr. Loya that while these charges are pending, he will remove himself entirely from any team or league activities. So that was when I finally got the confirmation roughly 12 hours after initiating the process of something that, frankly, should have taken five minutes. If, because the league's comment, Chris, was this. The club promptly notified the league of the serious pending charges against Mr. Loya after they were filed. Remember, warrant issued May 10. Mr. Loya has not been permitted to participate in any league or club activity during this process. He is no longer on any league committees. So they knew about this from the get-go. And I, I had a somewhat spirited debate yesterday with someone from the league about whether or not it's fair to say that they concealed these charges, but when you look at the dictionary definition of the term concealed, they did. They just sat back and waited for somebody to ask. They didn't tell anybody about it. Now, there's a separate question as to whether they should have, but they knew about this for three months, and finally somebody starts asking, and it takes them 12 hours to confirm it. They should have been bracing for this. This whole thing was so weird to me. These are serious charges. Rape, first-degree sexual abuse, third-degree sexual abuse, all against a member of ownership. And last week, you weren't on the show Friday when we had this conversation about whether or not there is a higher standard for owners than players. But the way this thing was handled by the league, I still have yet to see proof that there's a higher standard. Because this is something, if it was a player, we'd have known about it back in May. It would have been a big deal back in May, and there would have been serious action taken. This player would be on the commissioner exemplist, and everyone would have known it. I, I don't disagree with you there, right? I mean, the, the, that's for sure. I mean, even like the lowest guy on the roster in the NFL football team, if this happened, this would be front-page news. NFL player, you know, accused of rape, whatever, blah, blah, blah. That's where it is unfair. I'd like to think that the NFL would hold – you know, ownership and the people that are supposed to set the example for the rest of the organization and especially the players to a higher standard. I think that would be the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do in almost every major business institution in the world. I mean, that's what you do. Yeah. Our leaders got to be held more accountable. Right. But at the same time, am I surprised, Mike? I mean, no. I mean, you know, one yeah, the NFL sat back and they were just waiting for somebody to figure it out, find it out. It's amazing it took this long. I'm actually shocked by that. But yeah, they're 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 not ones to raise their hand and go, "Hey, we got a bad PR story. We'd like to throw that out there for everybody, so you know you can you know get on us and and tell us how bad we are." Uh, so that's where I, I I didn't expect them to do that. I am surprised it took this long. You know, for somebody to, to figure this out, that's kind of shocking. And I think what happened was the charges are in Kentucky and none of the people who cover the criminal courts in Jefferson County recognized the name and started connecting dots. Oh, wait, Enrique Javier Loya is the same guy who's the CEO of OTC Global Holdings, an energy company in Houston, and he's one of the owners of the Houston Texans. Holy crap, this is something that deserves, you know, some real media focus and treatment so the fact that it happened in kentucky i think made it something that was conducive 
to staying under wraps. But they knew it was going to come out at some point. You're not going to hide this forever. At some point, it's going to come out. And what makes me wonder whether they really did know, Chris, is the fact that it took them so long to confirm it. And I eventually got to the point where I said to the Texans, look, it's either him or it's not. You're either going to confirm it or it's not. This takes five seconds, especially if you knew about it. If you knew about it, you've been bracing for it. You've been waiting for it. Why don't you have your statement ready to go? The whole thing yesterday made me think they didn't know and they're acting like they did because the only thing that makes this worse for them is if they truly didn't know oh, along oh, with the rest okay. of I don't. I, I hear you. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I, I wonder whether the lesser of two evils is right. to say, well, we knew all along. We just chose not to don't tell anybody. Don't seem incompetent. Versus, right. Shit, we didn't know either. Yeah. I, I mean, the the way you're laying out the story and the fact that, yeah, you know, for this type of subject, you would have thought, hey, we, we know, you know, uh, this is going to come out at some point. So let's when it does come out, let's have our game plan. That is a little surprising. There's 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 no question about that. You know, I, I mean, I, when you were first telling me the story, I was going, well, you know, maybe they're just you know, checking with the league, doing this. They want to make sure they're on the same page with, with a statement or whatever else. But for to drag on that long, I think it's fair for us to question whether they actually knew. Yeah, it is. And, and, and Mike, like, I mean, what do we, we – we know they don't have to tell us. We don't. We'd, we'd like to have that, you know, as far as something from leadership – when when did they think this whole event occurred that he's you know allegedly being accused here for for this you know uh, crime? We haven't seen dates of the incident. We right. haven't seen how many alleged victims there are in this case. All I know is the arrest warrant was issued on May 10. And look, it doesn't take a genius to look at the calendar and say maybe something happened over Kentucky Derby weekend that culminated in someone filing a criminal complaint on May the 10th because the Derby was on May the 6th, just a few days earlier. So I don't know that that's irresponsible to point out the obvious connection on the calendar between the Kentucky Derby and all those people flying into Kentucky for the where my mind went. Right. Plenty, you know? Yeah. 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 And I've heard that from people in the league and that's like, you know, I didn't write about it because number one, it's kind of obvious when you know, when, as soon as you hear May 10 in Kentucky, you're thinking it's pretty close to the Kentucky Derby. I wonder if something went on that weekend, but we just don't know at this point. And I don't know when we'll get more details. Some of the other details that have come out, there were civil allegations of sexual misconduct against Javier Loya filed earlier this year, arising from a January 13 private party at a restaurant. The report from KPRC in Houston is the case was dismissed with prejudice in April. Well, that means quite possibly the case was settled because that's what happens after a settlement. The case is just suddenly dismissed with prejudice. And there may not even be a mention in the final order as to why the case is being dismissed with prejudice. Rarely does anyone voluntarily just dismiss a case with prejudice. If you dismiss a case, you dismiss it without prejudice. So you could file it later if you choose to do so. With prejudice means it's over, it's done, it's never coming back. So that was April 20, just a couple of weeks before this other incident where that case may have been settled, but we know it was dismissed. And back to the other point, and this, this, bolsters the possibility that maybe they really didn't know about it because the first message I got from Texans PR, and I guess it's, I mean, surely PR would know about it. 
Wouldn't PR of a football organization know if one of the owners was facing criminal charges? I'd like to think I don't that the know. PR staff I don't would, know. would know about it because they'd be bracing for it. The, what I got was, let me look into this and get back to you today. It's like, well, again, you either know about it or you don't. And I don't know if the organization knew about it. Maybe the PR staff didn't. Maybe I Maybe that see was that. part of the effort yesterday. Right. The PR staff trying to pry the truth out of somebody else in the organization. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked there, you know. You know, this is one where you, know, you you classify under that's the you know like you were going back to the original point with players, whatever musicians, stars. That way, you know, you you get in trouble, you get a DUI. It's it's everywhere. You can't escape it. But you know, Johnny CEO or Johnny Wall Street and and all that, they get a DUI and. You know, as long as somebody calls in to go, hey, that's the guy that, you know, runs uh, J.P. Morgan or whatever else, uh, they get away with it. I mean, nobody's it, it, does, yeah, it doesn't come out. What what'd you say? Sorry about that. I said nobody's going to know. Yeah, nobody's exactly. Know. Exactly. And it, this, this might be a guy who not... kind of flew under that radar there a little bit. You know, like you said, not major owner, right? Don't even know, you know, didn't wasn't aware of the name at all in any context connected with the Texans, at least me not personally. And it it seems like maybe he got lucky there for a little while, you know. And and with what you're telling me, yeah, it, maybe they nobody in the league did find out. It, it it is peculiar that those were the answers you got, and that it was drawn, you know, drug out that long before they finally got back to you. The NFL statement again makes it clear that the league's position is they knew about it and they acted on it. And that's the next point that I want to delve into. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. And let's assume that they're telling the truth that they knew about it. Again, the league statement, the club promptly notified the league of the series pending charges after they were filed. Mr. Loya has not been permitted to participate in any league or club activity during this process. He is no longer on any league committees. He used to be on the diversity committee and possibly others. So, and, and this is where I think the NFL needs to ask itself the philosophical question of when it has a duty, not legal duty, but just right versus wrong duty of disclosing something like this to the public. The moment you take action against someone would seem to be the moment that you need to explain the action you've taken and why. They were able to quietly remove Javier Loya from the diversity committee, along with any other committee he may have been serving on. They were able to quietly prevent him from participating in league or club activity because nobody else is paying attention. Most people didn't even know who he was. But I think the moment you take action against an owner, that's when you should announce it the same way you would announce it as they did last week with suspensions of Alvin Kamara, Chris Lamons, D. Eskridge, and others. The moment you take action against an owner, if you're truly holding them to a higher standard, and that's what they claim, higher standard, if you're truly holding them to a higher standard, the moment you take action is the moment that you tell the world that action was taken against an owner. Removal from committee, banned from participating in club or league activity, you're taking some affirmative action action some step against this person to limit their privilege of being involved in the nfl that's when i think the procedure should be for the same reasons we're going to tell the world about it if it's a player we're holding the owners to a higher standard we're telling the world about it then too even if it's a member of a limited partnership group that nobody knows about he's an owner in the nfl 
And if he's held to a higher standard, then we're at least, if we take action against him, we're going we're gonna to issue a press release telling the world that this has happened. If you're truly committed to doing the right thing and treating the owners the same, just the same. See, that's the thing. They talk about higher standard. How about the same standard? Like, we don't even get to higher standard when they don't treat the owners the same as they treat the players. And this is an example, Chris, of how it's a different standard. It's yeah. a double standard, and it's a lesser standard for owners. Well, I, I, I agree with that. And, yeah, in the perfect world to the next player, the players would like, yeah, there to be filed paperwork on things like this, just like there is for the players. You get suspended, it's, you know, on the league activities for the day. Right. I mean, that's what you see. There's a press release and there's, you know, all the things that went on throughout the league, whether it was a guy got cut, a guy got signed, a guy got suspended, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Why wouldn't the owners be under that same umbrella? I don't understand that. You know, and it goes back into a little bit of a thing you brought up last week when I saw one of your articles and we were in Canton about, you know, the, the, the provision that was moved a little bit about the higher standard and the owners being held to the same, you know, accountability as the players. Uh, we know that's not true. That's not. And this is just another example of uh, the NFL showing us that. And, you know, Miles Simmons and I talked about this on Friday, but it's worth mentioning since we're back in that same general neighborhood. When we compared line by line, word for word, the changes to the personal conduct policy from the 2021 version, because it was big news a couple of weeks ago, they changed the personal conduct policy. And there were just a couple of provisions that were reported in the New York Times showing that they reacted to the difficulty getting the punishment they wanted for Deshaun Watson. So they changed the language of the policy to make it easier the next time something like this happens. If there's a next time they can get the punishment they want. But they did other stuff. And one of the things they did, they removed from the player version of the personal conduct policy the statement that owners and other club and league management will be held to a higher standard. It's just gone. And my thought was they want to take away the defense that Deshaun Watson tried. He tried to point to Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, Patriots owner Robert Kraft, Commander's owner Dan Snyder as examples of individuals who were not held to a higher standard than players as part of the argument that Deshaun Watson shouldn't be thrown out of the league for a year, year and a half. It's a legal argument, and it's based on equal treatment, not based on whether or not he didn't do it. It's, well, wait a minute. You're going to kick me out for 20 games or longer when these guys never got punished, and here's what they did. I feel like they took that out to try to take away that argument. Now, got into a discussion with the league on Thursday because that sentence still appears in the personal conduct policy that applies to non-players. But why do you take it out of the player personal conduct policy unless you're trying to take that defense off the table? And that's why we kind of got to the point where it's the dog chasing the tail. Because I said, hey, are you telling me that you're not going to make the argument if players say, what about these owners that don't get punished? Aren't, are you saying that you're not going to argue? Sorry, that's no longer a defense. Well, they can raise any defense they want. My question is, if they raise that defense, are you going to say, that defense is no longer available because the language has been removed from the policy. That's where the conversation ended, and I never got a response. Yeah, well, you know, it's a good job by you. Fair, fair question, certainly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, listen, we don't, we don't need language, whatever. We, the proof is in the pudding. We see that the owners are not, you know, held to the same accountability as the players. It's a shame. You wish it was a different way. I'm not shocked by these events that they didn't volunteer this information. You know, and to your point, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if the NFL and and you know the some of the parties involved didn't know that you know Javier Loya did some of this stuff. 
He was able to keep it quiet. Allegedly. 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 allegedly, allegedly it's all allegations. I, right. He all denies it. He denies it. And his lawyer denies it strongly. Right. Keep me straight. He's entitled to all constitutional protections, yep. presumption of innocence. Well, I'm not worried about you getting thrown in jail. <laughs> I'm worried about money coming out of my pocket. I don't <laughs> oh, care about in you that going case, into let me say jail. some other I stuff. I care then. about money coming out of my pocket. <laughs> oh, I don't so, worry about uh, your pocket. We can pocket. still do the That's show. <laughs> we can still do the show while you're in jail. In fact, it might make it even more compelling depending upon who your cellmate is. <laughs> yeah, um, right. So, uh, so oh, I had another really good point here, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, oh, I mean, look, this is the other side of the thing, too. To the extent they did know. I mean, this is a prime opportunity for them to create the impression that they do hold owners to the same standard because it's not like it's one of the real owners. That's true. Right? No yeah. Nobody knows who this guy example? is. We don't care about this guy. Right. Let's, right. Just, let's just like they do with players. Yeah. You make excuses for the stars. You make examples out of the scrubs. As the owners go, this guy's one of the scrubs. Right. This is our chance to just say, yes, we hold. But see, the problem is if they, they set a precedent where – when it is one of the owners that, you know, everybody knows, right. one of the powerful and influential owners, yeah, we're crossing a bridge here. We're not so sure we want to cross because we could be dragged across that bridge next. Oh, I, 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 mean, I mean, you know, again, conspiracy Chris would think that that language that was taken out of the NFL, PA, CBA bargaining agreement and talking about, you know, the owners being held to an account, uh, that just smells of one of those owners that you mentioned calling and saying, we need to take that out of that, that agreement there so they can't use that defense. Yeah, why do, we, right. why, do I have to, why do I have to read my name? Right. Why am I showing up on Google tied to Deshaun Watson? Right. I don't want that anymore. Right. Do what you have to do. When you look at all the changes, Chris – to the personal conduct policy that had been made. And look, I practiced law for 19 years. I'm not saying that to, to, to oh, hey, I'm just, I'm, sometimes people are like, well, how the hell do you know any of this? I lived in this world. I know what it's like to deal with managers, owners, people who want things their way and the lawyers just get in the way of what they want. I guarantee you, well, I'm not going to say I guarantee it. My theory would be, that after they didn't get what they wanted to Sean Watson, somebody at 345 Park Avenue, somebody whose autograph might appear on every single football, lost his mind that they didn't get what they wanted to do. Why didn't we get what we wanted to do? Why is this person not suspended indefinitely for a full year or more based upon these allegations and what he's done? Why did this happen? Well, the policy, we had you know some problems with the language and the policy. Well, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to rewrite that damn – you're going to look at that policy line for line, word for word, and anything in there that could keep me from doing whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it for any player, any player, even if it's something they did when they were in college, I want the flexibility. I want that thing to be rewritten so I can impose my will on whoever I want, whenever I want, for however long I want. Something like that was said to the people who went back and redrafted the personal conduct policy. Because when you look at all the changes, including the new change that lets them discipline guys for things they did when they weren't even in the NFL, that was a stunning new change. It tells me someone read someone the riot act about, I'm not going through this again, where a judge tells us, sorry, sorry, the policy that you had the ability to unilaterally write wasn't written in a way that lets you do what it is you're trying to do. I don't doubt it, Mike. I, you know, I think your pasta and meatballs, they're, they, they're working overtime. I think you're onto something there. I, I think you are. And 
yeah, I, I think there's you know probably some truth to to what you said there. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, finally, Teddy Bridgewater, after an extended wait as a free agent, he has a new team. We'll tell you who it is, and we'll try to understand what it means for that new team. One PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.